0: Welcome to the CTO Connection Podcast. I'm Peter Bell and every couple of weeks I'll be sharing interviews with top engineering leaders. This week I'll be talking with Nick Caldwell about his experiences of building and managing engineering teams. I am here with Nick Caldwell, the Chief Product Officer of Looker.
1: Thanks Peter, happy to be here.
0: Firstly, let me ask just a little bit about your presentation at the Chicago CTO Summit coming up on Wednesday, May 1st. So I believe there you're going to be talking about Ignite the Fire, how managers can spark new leaders. What is it about and what's somebody actually going to learn by attending that talk?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a topic that I've been really, really fascinated with, particularly as I you know, got into senior and in executive management. The fundamental challenge, I, I think, that when you're, is that when you're growing a team, you know, in a small team, if you got 10 people, you probably have like 10 leaders. Uh, and then as you grow, you maybe get to like 50 and then 100 people. If you've got 100 people, you still got 10 leaders. And the, the challenge in, in, that I've always kind of, um, you know, given myself is, you know, how do you break uh, that pattern? Like, how do you get to 100 people and then maybe have 100 leaders? So um, my hope is uh, I'm going to share some insights uh, and tools that I've picked up over the years uh, on how to make that happen, how to scale leadership, um, along with some lessons and, and stories uh, from my past.
0: That's great. Now, I know you spent 15 plus years at Microsoft. What was it like firstly, being part of the Microsoft organization a little bit bigger than the startups you've been working with recently, and then secondly, what was it like changing pace to move to to reddit and then looker
1: yeah no I was at micro, i mean yeah, I was at Microsoft for fifteen years that's a a, a very long stint uh, i I certainly you know in retrospect you know believe i I spent a little bit too long there but you do learn a lot at uh, at big companies. I think um the obvious thing is you learn how to manage large groups uh, of people. So um one uh, kind of really interesting insight I got uh a few weeks back. I was talking to a friend at Facebook uh and uh he said something that has all, has just stuck with me. He said uh, Facebook scaled faster than the ability of our managers to learn how to manage and uh you know it that I, I stuck with me because I, I i think it it's, it's true it's like in silicon valley and the bay area you've got these rapid growth uh companies that don't necessarily have the same sort of um you know i, I would say uh, foundation around management and uh that is definitely one thing i took away from uh, from microsoft they really you know even to get into like senior level you you start to learn uh, all of the kind of management uh, fundamentals, and that transferred really, really well when I came to the Bay Area and just saw the the need for that uh, skill set um, on the flip side of that uh, one thing i I uh, wish I had learned at Microsoft earlier is um, you know the value of equity so <laughs> you know I was doing my uh, you know fifteen years at Microsoft primarily on um, internal startups or entrepreneurial projects. Uh, and, uh, I never kind of worked through the game theory on that. You know, I, you know, if, if a project doesn't work, you have like a pretty big safety net in terms of you just go to another one inside that big company. Uh, but the, uh, flip side of that is, if the project works, you don't own, <laughs> you don't own it. And, uh, you know, I was on a really fun project called uh, power BI which ended up becoming like one of Microsoft's fastest growing businesses a, a couple of years back, I had a great time. Uh, but then after that, I realized, hey, you know, next next time around when I want to want to put like so much energy into a, into a V1 big project, I hope I own a piece of it. <laughs> so that's been fun, uh, you know, in the Bay Area getting to, to you know, do startups and, and feel much more of a sense of, of true ownership
0: how do you think about providing support for your managers presumably you grow some of them internally uh they've not necessarily it's it, it's the historic problem right hey this is an amazing engineer let's go get them to stop writing code and start managing people uh firstly how do you think about that uh the career progression and then secondly how do you think about training with an organization that doesn't necessarily have the maturity of something like a microsoft
1: yeah i mean career uh, this, this the, from the career progression perspective i have seen this over and over and over in the in the bay area Um, you're really talking about companies that you know startups that are you know low numbers of people between say 30 and 100 and and the challenge you see is uh in that range of of engineering size you, you need to kind of switch from a generalist model to having more kind of specialized roles and then that also means that um You know, you need to think about who's going to be, uh, you know, maybe on an IC or architect career path versus who's going to be more in, uh, you know, your management uh, career path. So, you know, when I was at Reddit, we had this this challenge for sure, because uh, I needed to scale that team really, really rapidly. We we grew it from like 35 people to um, like 160, 170 over the course of uh, about a year and a half and and yeah you know if you if you want to grow that fast you really have to think carefully about what your management and leadership structure is going to be and um what the responsibilities were so early on i kind of sat down all the folks who you know purported to want to get into management and laid out the responsibilities you know being being able to ship with predictability uh and quality you know being more focused on developing people than necessarily code um, and then, uh, you know, if people didn't uh, want to pursue that track, but still wanted to have, you know, more of a, a you know, broader scope and leadership, we all, we you know, we looked at like maybe uh, setting sending them to an architect track. Uh, and um, it worked out really, really well. Um, you know, we uh, we did kind of an early on test to split those split those folks into two groups. And I think a year later, like ninety percent of the folks we had, you know, either put into the architect track versus the management track had um, stayed in those roles. And then the company was able to to scale uh, really, really well. We're doing a similar thing, although at a slower pace here at Looker right now. Looker has um, around uh, 80 engineers, but we, uh, we're still looking at how to tease apart the clear roles of, of managers versus ICs.
0: And then even within managers, it was interesting that you were talking about things like being able to ship reliably but also being able to grow and support people sometimes those also get teased apart how do you think about that breakdown between product or project responsibilities versus just pure like hey just one-on-ones with your team keeping them happy keeping them keeping them motivated and capable
1: you know it's it's a there's a lot of subtlety to that um I th- I think on a spectrum from like junior manager to director is where you have to figure out the difference uh, in terms of how much you spend you know with individual contributors you know from like a one-on-one getting to know you sort of perspective this is I think a huge challenge um as you as you move from manager managerial roles into director level roles because there is a difference in terms of of how you um interact with the folks on your team like i i had a mentor once who used to say nick you know if you want to be a director you've got to get off the floor uh he used to say it that way but um you know when i was a manager uh a, a line level manager i loved one-on-ones it was like the only th- i lived for it you know getting to know people's hopes and dreams and how you could figure out how to tie those into the into the um you know Kanban board and you know what people should be working on I had one-on-ones with my team up until my team was like 35 people. Like I was just doing crazy amounts of one-on-ones. Because I, to be frank, I was just over-rotated into that fun part of, of being a manager. So when you're a director, though, you kind of – it's like a good director uh, remembers what that was like. <laughs> but <laughs> – but also realizes that, you know, now your your primary constituent is more the business and the strategy and that you've got to be able to uh, move resources in the form of money and people around in order to, to achieve business objectives. And it becomes a much more, you know, you're managing managing people in the abstract group sense than it is that one-on-one sense. And I think that's the big difference in, ter- in terms of how to support new managers though. I think, um, the biggest thing that I do, um, because I tend to be more on the side of like growing startups, um, managers, uh, need, uh, uh, clear expectations of what their roles are supposed to be. There's so much confusion, particularly at startups about what managers even do. Uh, and then, um, just by virtue of my long history in management, I've just got a ton of tools, Uh, in my bag and I kind of listen to what people need and let them kind of propose problems. And then I kind of come in and say, hey, by the way, have you seen this tool? Like maybe if you configure your Kanban board this way, or maybe if you participate with recruiting in the following way, it might help solve some of the problems you see. So the fundamental approach is like, I've got enough tools in the bag. I never kind of pull them out on the table all at once because that just scares new managers. But I'll, I'll let them, um, you know, propose the problem and then ease into, like, uh, reusing some kind of off-the-shelf uh, approaches. And this, this is kind of an organic approach to building just the right amount of tooling and process uh, for a given organization.
0: And how do you think about management training? Do you feel like there are certain tools or approaches that work for that? Uh, do you feel that there are resources that, are, that you found good to provide to your managers? Or is it more an ad hoc, like, you got a problem, here's the solution?
1: You know, no, I I never am prescriptive, but I love training, you know, so let me, let me answer that in a a slightly different way. As you get further into your management or, or any career, what you realize is there's like 50 ways to do, to solve any sort of problem. Like there's all sorts of, you can use Kanban, you can use, there are places like if you, if, if necessary, you would use a waterfall method. Like I hope they're doing that for, uh, you know, you know, building rocket ships over at uh, SpaceX. But, but, but what you realize as, as time goes on and you get more experience is that there's all sorts of, of tools that you can use and apply, and formal training is a great way to help expose you to new tools without having to incur the risk of uh, living through their misuse. Uh, so I love and support f- uh, f- uh, formal training. But, but on the flip side of that is I, I don't require it because you actually do learn, I think, more quickly by doing. Um, so I like to have a balance of, of those two things. Um, I give managers advice on what tools they should think about. Uh, but then I also kind of say, hey, look, like, let's adjust uh, the, these off-the-shelf tools for the situation you see on the ground, try it, see what works, and then iterate as quickly as, as necessary. You know, I
0: I was foolish enough to get an MBA, so I'm clearly biased toward formal training. After having gone through the MBA experience, what do you feel were the best things you got from doing that?
1: Well, nobody should get an MBA, uh, but uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the things I got out of it... Um, uh, you know, I was at Microsoft for, you know, 15 years, a really long time. Um, it was a very comfortable environment. And I think that, uh, you know, if I hadn't got the M- MBA, like I might still be at Microsoft. Like that—that that is to say, the MBA for me was really a, a forcing function because you're paying for it. <laughs> it's a forcing function that gets you out of your comfort zone to go and like learn something new, spend time with people you would have never met before. Um, So I went from spending, you know, every all day, every day with people who worked in enterprise software at Microsoft, a big old gigantic company to every uh, weekend for three years, forcing myself to spend time with uh, people who wanted to join startups, people in sales, legal, like totally different disciplines. Uh, And um, that's really what I got out of it. It was a forcing function to, um, you know, meet new people, change uh, my perspective, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my suggestion though, cause like a lot of people ask me if they should get an MBA and like, you know, my, my, uh, answer is like, you should try and find other ways to force yourself to get those experiences that don't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, and lots of time. But if, if you, if you're like me and you like formal education and you really need the push to kind of get over your own internal fears, then it can be uh, super helpful.
0: That's great. So I, I've got a call out. There was a, a post I remember seeing from you last year on Medium about a Voigtkamp test for engineering managers, right? For, is this an engineering manager or is it a replicant? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what how it came to be and, and what your experience has been using it?
1: Yeah. So yeah, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, you know, if you're in a, I was in a situation at Reddit where we needed to, to scale really, really, really quickly uh, the engineering organization. So I, I didn't have a lot of time, um, to, you know, to, to spend. So I needed to come up with a system to, to figure out who is going to be great for management and, uh, you know, who might be, um, you know, better off on an IC uh, career track. So um, over the course of a, a few weeks, we, we kind of did interviews with, uh, you know, aspiring managers or people who were calling themselves like tech leads, um, because we didn't want to have a tech lead role. Like I think a lot, I think that title gets really misused in a lot of places. It's never, it's never clear what a tech lead means. Uh, it's certainly not an industry standard term. So we wanted to get rid of tech lead and just be like, Hey, look, like you're either going to be on the IC track and and move your way up to architect, or you're going to be on the managerial track and and go up that way. So, yeah, we came up with a, a series of questions, uh, you know, um, what are your feelings about uh, shipping on a on a deadline? Uh, you know what uh, what would you do if a if a PM, uh, you know, uh, tried to uh, tell one of your reports to immediately go work on a new feature? Um, you know, what do you care more about, like the complexity of the the architecture or uh, the completion date? Like a, a a bunch of those sorts of of things. And uh, over the course of a few weeks, you could kind of tease apart you know, who would be more of a managerial uh, mindset versus who would be more of an an architect and uh, and, an IC mindset. And it ended up working really, really well. Um, We, uh, I think after that initial pass, uh, got, uh, you know, uh, around, uh, I think it was like around 10-ish managers uh, out of that initial path, uh, path, most of whom who ended up staying on the manager track. And then the other nice uh, thing out of that was we were able to get like a formal architect group. And uh, that led to the formation of formal technology guilds with like front end guild, machine learning guild, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of great behaviors uh, resulted um, from that. And, and uh, you know, the most important thing, all that confusion around the tech lead title just evaporated. You know, it became very clear what the career tracks were.
0: When you're looking to hire engineering managers and engineering directors, again, what are some of the traits that you look for for, for people who can really kind of kill it in those roles?
1: Yeah, I mean, for engineering managers, you want people who have actually coded and spent some amount of time wrestling with the the difficulties of the day-to-day. But then you also want uh, folks who care about um, process. You want folks who care about quality. Uh, And then most importantly, you want – people who care about people, like the idea that you're going to develop, um, you know, others should supersede uh, the idea that, you know, you're going to be producing the best code or the best architecture. I think that's what in the long run leads to the best, uh, you know, engineering managers. I think when we're hiring directors, though, um, it gets a little bit more complicated. So with a director, like an ideal candidate comes in, they've managed different types of teams, different types of, uh, of technologies, uh, and they've developed kind of a toolkit for, you know, different processes, different ways to handle people. And they're able to explain, uh, what's in their tool bag, like a really great, like high-end director will have the wherewithal to understand that, like, there isn't like a my way or the highway sort of approach, but that there's many different ways to, uh, you know, solve problems and different processes and different types of people that you would want to hire. A more junior director will be like really familiar with uh, certain processes and and you know want to drive directly to that and that's okay like you know, that's all right. But you kind of look for you know solving problems with the organization. Like a director solves problems by building the correct organization and p- applying resources in the right way and building systems, right? An engineering manager solves problems by like shipping stuff, <laughs> all right? And those are uh, those are like the, the distinctions
0: you've been an engineering manager for quite a while now as you look back are there any things that you used to do as an engineering manager that kind of make you cringe now there's a specific uh,
1: belief i had when i was an early manager that um, process was evil (laughs) and that uh, you know we should uh, try and aspire for as much uh, you know uh, or excuse me as little process as, as, as possible and i uh, I took that both into like the day-to-day of how to run teams as well as like the org structure as well. And I, I made one, I think in retrospect, phenomenally bad uh, mistake uh, testing this hypothesis. Um, so if you remember uh, a couple of years back, uh, there was um, a trend uh, toward doing this sort of uh, Spotify management model where you would like use guilds, but but not just in the abstract sense of learning stuff, but uh, but also you would or organize your actual product teams around this. So I had got this into my head. I thought it was great because it meant that you could just dynamically pull people from this pool of engineers and you didn't have to worry so much about management structure and blah, blah, blah. So I convinced um, my management team uh, that this was the, the right idea. And uh, we reorganized, I think like 400 people around this model. <laughs> so like we, uh, we got, we, we got everyone's name and we put it on a board and we, we decided what teams we were going to have. And we said, okay, managers, you won't necessarily manage the projects. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have group leaders and they're going to um, they're going to all form around these specific projects. It was a total disaster. And uh, <laughs> you know, we had to undo it after I think about uh, three months. And um, you know, after that, I kind of learned that like structure matters, that you really need to think through like what are the business objectives you're trying to achieve what are the groups of people and skill sets you want to form to achieve those objectives and and you need to make sure that each of those people has clarity and an inspiring mission and if you can do those things it it is going to mean that everyone is ultimately happier because they're going to be able to be much more effective in achieving business goals in a way that also gets them uh, personally excited and trying to be too organic has this this mythos uh, that um, that managers are somehow not adding value that structure doesn't add value and um having tripped over that landmine in a really really bad way no like organizations with structure clarity of purpose uh and uh, the ability to uh, to communicate those things broadly are 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 most effective i guess beyond that i think uh I think the biggest lesson I, I that took me a long time to learn, it's not, it's not engineering specific. It just goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I spent a very, very long time at, at Microsoft. And um, a large part of that was because, uh, frankly, the, the comfort that came with working uh, in a big company, uh, you know, uh, and um, I wish I could have told myself many, many, many years before I left Microsoft that it's, in fact, very safe to try something different. Um, you know, particularly like, you know, in the, in the Bay Area, um, there are so many opportunities that um, you may not feel like there is necessarily a safety net because, you know, some of these startups are they They sound <laughs> some of these startups have kind of crazy ideas, um, but it's OK to kind of take a risk now and then because the, the safety net is really this gigantic community of companies um, that, you know, are all looking for talent. And really like the way that I uh you know, I think folks need to guide their careers is to think about patching together, you know, skills and experiences uh from, from a multitude of places rather than, a, than staying in one spot and expecting all of the opportunities and skills to to somehow come to them. And I wish I had uh told myself that uh a lot earlier. It's totally it's totally safe uh to try different things, to jump around and patch together you know, a a, a bunch of experiences that add up in some holistic way to to where you want to get
0: to. Something else I want to ask you about, you've talked about the Bay Area a whole bunch of times. What do you think about distributed teams, distributed talents, people who don't live in the Bay Area? What are are your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the reason I talk about the Bay Area is more because of the opportunity here. I mean, there is no there's no place on the planet that has much uh, as much venture capital investment uh, than the Bay Area. Um, that said, um, engineering talent exists everywhere, and uh, you know I'm a huge fan of supporting uh, remote work. So in terms of distributed teams, uh, you know every place that I've I've worked, uh, you know for as long as I can remember at this point, um, has had some sort of combination of uh, of either fully uh, remote teams or or hybrid model. And I think that, um, you know, tech technology is just increasingly, uh, pushing us in that direction. Um, you know, you'll see that every we're on zoom right now, uh, every, you know, increasingly you'll walk into, uh, you know, a, a office and see that every room is wired for zoom. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, remote work has many, many challenges, but I think, uh. Within this decade, we've kind of turned an inflection point where, if you're a manager, it's no longer acceptable to uh, to say like, "Hey, we're not going to have remote work." It has to be a part of your grow-up strategy. And uh, you know, the challenges are, of course, you know, how do you stay informed? Communication gets uh, harder with uh, with remote work. Um, there's nothing that beats face-to-face uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, high fidelity uh, conversation. Um, that said, you know, managers and, and even ICs just have to kind of get used to uh, to those changes. Uh, it's um, something that um, you know technology is increasingly supporting, and um, given uh, given how um, much talent is starting to develop in other areas that aren't just like New York, uh, you know, Seattle and, uh, and and San Francisco. There's so much more talent springing up in other parts of the world and and, uh, and, and the country. Uh, you've got to think about a way to incorporate that into uh, into growing your organization.
0: Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Uh, one thing I do just want to ask: you've now presented at a number of CTO summits, and I can't wait to catch a talk in Chicago. Why do you keep coming back?
1: The CTO summits are great in the sense that um, uh, you know I, I think I have that kind of growth mindset, you know, continual uh, continual desire to learn. And, um, you know, CTO summits, you get some of the smartest uh, people in industry sharing, you know, tips and tricks and, and like just very distilled knowledge really, really uh, quickly. And uh, for me, that is just uh, intoxicating. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, I think uh, at this point in my career, I, I guess I'm getting up in the years, uh, <laughs> you know, now that I, I think about them, it, it, it's I get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, giving back. I think, uh, you know, my, I think about my career in different phases. Like early on, I was like, oh, let me just try and get some money. And then, you know, then there was a phase of, you know, well, now I've got money. I want freedom. I want the ability to try a lot of different things. And, and now I think I'm in, exiting that and I'm in a, into a third phase, which is I wish I could just leave a legacy of knowledge and like people I've, um, you know, helped coach to the next level. And uh, I think CTO Summit uh, is, uh, is definitely uh, something that helps me achieve that goal.
0: Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Yeah, thanks, Peter. This episode was produced by the amazing team over at Dante32, a podcast production agency focusing on content strategy, audio production, and distribution. Check them out at Dante32.com. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. Thank you.